Hello and welcome to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. My name is Gabriel White with the law firm of White & Garner. here with my partner Dan Garner and also Scott Powers. And today we are discussing closing arguments. Uh, the audio is a little wonky because we've been doing these over Zoom due to the pandemic, so apologize for that. But I uh, hope you can enjoy and if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. Thank you very much and enjoy. And now we're talking about closing arguments. Um, so, closing arguments is the biggest thing. And then, closing arguments are interesting. Most studies show that by end of opening arguments for you know usually and by the end by the time the first witness is testified most of the jurors have made up their minds and so what do we hope to accomplish when we're doing closing arguments uh you want to you know one of the main things I try and do is give my allies in the jury box weapons or tools to advocate for us. So give them nice little snippets or phrases that they'll use in their own to parrot in the jury in deliberations. That's always good. Yeah. As concise as possible. Especially in the state court where you got to get six of eight, um, you know, in, in civil cases in the state court in Utah, you just need six of eight. So we're, we're kind of shifting the focus from trying to convince people to just trying to arm the jurors and make sure that the other thing I've found, in addition to arming your jurors, that are with you is I'm trying to avoid a screw-up. Like I'm trying to, a lot of my time I, I'm is spent like, okay, the jury is going to be handed, you know, a half-inch thick stack of jury instructions. They're going to understand like five of them. And then there's going to be a verdict for them. And sometimes that thing is like a choose your own adventure novel. For you, you know, if you, if you yes, flip to this page and answer these three questions. And if no, and there's a lot of places where the jurors could make errors. Plus, I think there's a lot of times where you know, all the jury, the main point of jury instructions, I think, is usually to, um, you know, because they def they'll usually define when you're allowed to argue uh, in closing an argument. But sometimes there'll be two or three jury instructions that are really important in your case, and you want to be able to take some time to highlight that and explain to the jurors why. You know, this is the rule, and how to follow the rule, what it means. Of that, they go in there with the 
particular instruction on the top of the mind. How are you going to follow what's up? Well, I, I, I'm going to go with Dan on this one to a degree. I mean, you raised good points, Gabe. I feel like closing argument is where you bring it all together, but it needs to be concise and it needs to be, uh, you know, whether you're arming a jury or you're summing things up for the, uh, you know, the bench trial, you, you know, you've got to lay it out in a way such that they, you know, if the glove don't fit, don't acquit kind of thing, where it kind of puts all the stuff they've been hearing over however long you've been presenting it into context. Um, and, and the more succinctly and more efficiently you can do that, the less likely the, the, the people that do like your, your position are going to be pushed off of that position by someone else who wants to raise the minutiae. And, and it needs to be something that allows us for all the other little parts and pieces to be fit in within that view and that kind of theme. So that's, I mean, argument or, you know, closing argument is where you finally have the gloves taken off and you're no longer just relegated or, or required to talk about what will be presented. You will hear this, you will hear that. You then put it into context, you put it into the rule, you put it, you, you apply it to the law, you say, this is what you hear, you need to make this fact finding because what it means is this. And this is not believable because of that. And they want you to find this, but it doesn't make sense because of that. And remember the theme here, ladies and gentlemen, is blah, blah, blah. And just bring it around to the theme. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's correct. I, mean, I, I agree with, with all of the things. I mean, I think, a lot of it depends on the case. To a certain extent, I mean, we, at least in Utah, I have not seen the kind of oratory and the kind of, um, you know, really convincing, moving, I've ever seen in some other places because it seems like everybody's so focused on you know one or two things they want to get over or they, or they you know my favorite is the guy who walks up to clothes and he's got his folder from the entire trial it's all, you know, it's this thick, it's, it's like three inches thick, and it's got this document of stuff all over the place, and there's a, and there's a, uh, plat pad in the middle of it, and, you know, it's got kind of the points one wants to make, and they're kind of from all over the place. Wow. I think part of that is because you don't really have that much time to prepare closings. It's a lot of times you have only like, you know, I mean, you could, I, I've been at closes with like 45 minutes, 30 minutes to prepare a closing. After yeah, but you, can, you can do all, you can do your big base outline stuff. 
before and then have the gameplay based on what evidence came in or what the witnesses actually said. The, Sometimes you can do that. I mean, I, I, together fast. I've been in a case where we wound up, you know, having like half of the witnesses we expected would testify. They decided not to call. Um, so, and there were a whole bunch of issues that we thought we were going to have to fight that wound up the judge just going right with us and even had a directive verdict on one of the claims. And so I was like, okay, well, what can I argue without opening? I mean, our biggest fear was opening the door. I mean, what can I argue without, you know, suggesting something that would allow the opposing side to respond and, you know, get around one of the rulings that we've had, you know, the entire time. Um, the, court. the other thing I thought that was odd was that, you know, we weren't allowed to discuss. So we had that, we had a motion for directed verdict. We won it. We weren't really allowed to discuss it with the jury, and the judge didn't really explain it or didn't even mention it. So it just kind of dropped off of the verdict form, and there was no, the jury didn't have any indication as to why, um, which I thought was a little bit, um, it, it, it wound up not being a big deal, but it could have been. Um, and so, you know, getting things out like the verdict form and saying, all right, here is where we're going to, you know, I said it in the openings that we're going to ask you to give us a number around X and, and Y. Here's where, here's how you do that. And you fill out the form with them. I, I promise you, I have had cases where it was like, you know, going to be a $5 million case. We lost and we got out in the end and the jurors didn't understand something they were supposed to do, didn't understand some piece of paper, you know, and it's impossible to predict what where they might go wrong like that. There's some obvious candidates like your, um, you know, your, your verdict form your your you know big jury instructions. A lot of the times the planners can get a lot out of the more likely than not standard and talking about like, well, you know, are you sure this is related? Maybe yes, maybe you know, but is it more likely than not related? If the answer is yes, then that answers it for you. And so can we sort of calibrate? And then agree 100% with Dan that what we're trying to do is we're trying to set up, you know, the jurors that already are on our side with tools, meaning arguments, meaning logical points um, in order to 
you know, we'll win them over and come over to our side. Um, and, you know, that is, you know, at, at that point, we're not really trying to get that one guy, then the wall conservative, you know, lost of the devil, sure, on our side because it's just not going to happen. But, um, you know, closings, I think, I think a lot of times we get really nervous in our closings because we're afraid of getting an, an objection sustained or something like that. I think that there's a lot more, you know, because juries, what are the juries like? When juries start to like the process of of being jurors, it's not because suddenly embrace their civic duty and wrap themselves in the flag. It's because they started to get interested in the case and in the parties. And I think a lot of times we can do closing arguments a little better in a way that makes it more entertaining for the jury. Now for Scott, that may mean acting out is is closing with uh, some dragon animals that he has um, there at the ready. Otherwise known as dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Right? I think these are. Can you see Dan? Yeah. With your phone, I didn't think you because we couldn't see you. I thought you couldn't see us. Yeah, those are oh, I, those are dinosaurs. Those are dragons. What? Superpowers. I need a ruling. Yeah, but I don't know what you're talking about. We're talking about closing arguments here. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, well, Power, give us your give us your five best tips for closing arguments. My five best tips, yeah. um, stay succinct and on point. You should have a timer of no more than, say, 15 minutes to put everything together. I would, I would think it would be better in half of that. Number two, I think you need to walk through the special verdict form if it's a, if it's a jury trial. People need to understand what it does and what it means when they do it. I think it's more important for the plaintiff to do that maybe than the defendant. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I think both sides benefit or, or run serious, serious risks if they don't understand the, the special verdict form like you were describing. I, I think you need to really hit on your, your, your main points repeatedly, but at the same time, do brief justice to the, the troublesome stuff just quickly. You know, you heard this, but it doesn't mean this, and you heard that, but it doesn't mean what they want it to mean, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but I don't know, like five, I, I, would, I would say from the last two, brevity and, uh, and brevity. I mean, again, maybe is not the right word, 
it needs to be concise. It needs to be a, an effective summary. And you need to think about it long before you ever get to trial in, in terms of a theme, a theme that needs to be presented concisely. And hopefully the, the, the evidence that came out is fit within your theme. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about how it all fits together and how the special verdict gets you help or it gets them or is the tool by which they will deliver what you've been asking them for yeah and i and if you think about it logically i mean if you the majority of people i mean if they watch a half hour television show they're going to remember the end and the key plot points, right? They're not going to remember where, you know, so-and-so went and had coffee if they went to Jamoka Joe's or Latte Larry's, you know? Well, like, uh, and Powers, that's extremely distracting. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I think if you think about it, they're you know, you know the jurors are not going to remember, you know, nine in that. That's just because people aren't going to remember every little detail, and so you have to give them. Yeah, you have to have a theme that's been driven home over the entire trial with your opening, with your witnesses. And then you have to have like five to ten and, and tens, I think, stretching it, you know, major plot points that drive your, your case home. Uh, because if you get more than that, they're not going to remember. No one's going to remember that. That's, no, no human's going to, you know, you know, like, I couldn't remember that. If someone got up there and stood for an hour long and gave me a closing and tried to give me 50 things that I had to remember, I would remember, I don't know, half of them. Maybe. Not even that. But Dan, what if, what if you've got... 10 important uh, partners to go into a, a, a test. I mean, are you going to try to keep it to five or you just have to hit all of the main ones? Well, I, I think you just got to hit your main, your main points. I don't, like you said, I, if, if, if the case, if there's really 10 points that you think that, that your case relies on, I don't know if you've done a good enough job at, at breaking it down and making it as concise as possible, honestly. But you know, with some med mouths and stuff like that, uh, I think that you you know you probably need to get around that number. But every case is going to be individual. Uh, yeah. Gonna be, but well, I, on, I, on my construction cases, they're usually far more complicated than a quick and easy four or five points. I mean, granted, your theme is going to be even less than that, but ultimately, this is stuff that fits into. Well, 
I'm saying I'm saying major major plot points or major factors. I mean construction cases obviously there's a billion different subcontractors. But you know you're if you're the general then yeah you're probably gonna have a lot of more points than that. But Oh, your point's well taken, though. You gotta, you gotta boil it down. You're right. If you're a contractor, I don't, I don't necessarily think you're gonna have twenty main points to go over. And if you do, I don't, I don't think people are gonna remember them. Is the larger issue? I mean, I think, I think it obviously the good, the good point is here is it obviously depends on the case. I mean, your average case, I think Dan is one hundred percent right. If you're, you know, can't boil it down to you know one little statement or, or a couple of statements, then you know you're just not. You know, you're not going to be the jury's not going to be on your side because there's not going to understand your case. On the other hand, there are cases where you're going on for four weeks, eight weeks, you know, and where you're going to wind up, you know, where you're concise closing is a day and a half where you're going to be going through, okay, we heard from this witness who said this and this is important and here's his outfit that's in the whole uh you know whole the whole case um uh, so uh you know I, I i do think there are situations where it can get me longer than that but um not generally. I I think from a plaintiff standpoint, the longer the case goes, the worse shape you're in. Honestly, because I think that all uh, the longer the case goes, the more complicated it the harder it is to for the plaintiff to win. It just seems like the, the more you can try and get your jury to rely on their common sense, what, what, what your plaintiff is telling them, and less about uh, what everyone else is saying. I mean, because honestly, if you, I mean, we have a, a Major accident. A life care planner. You know, there's a lot of differences that you could use, but I think the more that you you, you paint up as hey, we're these guys that yeah, we need to present this evidence for the needs to come in. But if you're the defense side. You have, you have like five doctors are saying the exact same thing, or more or less is the exact same thing. That I think that that's going to go more in the defense favor than the 
plans stay with the longer the case goes. Good to know. Good to understand. What you're saying is, if I want to win my case and I'm on the defense, I need to just drag it out. That's pretty much you guys' strategy. Well, as I say this. You didn't know that already? Personal injury related cases, that's pretty much a strategy everybody's using right now. Um, now, I agree, it's a totally different world when you get into more commercial cases and, and things like that where, you know, there are some times where it is just complicated because it's. You know, 40 things happened. I mean... There's 40 different defendants. Yeah, right. There's, you know, there's, there's um, you know, and, and I, I don't necessarily agree that, that the longer the, the plaintiffs are talking, the worse it is for plaintiff. I think it depends on what you're talking about. I think... Well, not I'm not saying the longer the plaintiff is talking. I'm saying the longer the trial goes. No, I, I, I agree. I think it's, I think it's a lot better if, if the if the trial goes as long. I don't mind it at all if we're spending the whole time talking about my client's damages because then the jury's question is it's going to be. How much do we give him or her rather than because trials wind up being about what you talk about? Um, and you know, if, if everybody spends most of the, the trial talking about the damages, then they're just going to assume liability and go, you know, because they're going to say, Well, if the defendants really or fighting liability at Harbor, we would have had more time to talk about it. Um, and then, you know, if we get them into the, even if they get into the weeds a little bit on the damages, they're going to start to say, whoa, whoa, you know, this person's got a lot of different things. But I, I generally agree in sciences is 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 the best policy. Thank you so much for listening to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Again, we apologize for the audio quality. Unfortunately, it was the best we could get over uh, Zoom at the time, um, but we're working to improve that. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. Uh, feel free to subscribe uh, via the iTunes um, podcast app. And if you have any questions, go to saltlaketrialattorney.com and submit a question uh, for us to consider, and we may uh, even discuss it and answer it on the air. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time.